Um, so we're starting a new series, and uh, this weekend is uh, kind of the theme is about coming home. And I thought it was ironic that, of course, on the weekend that we're talking about coming home, we get kicked out of our home, and we have to uh, be homeless for, for the night. But the whole idea came out of this... Um, this article that I read, and the series is called Simply Christmas, because in this article, and I don't, um, I don't subscribe to this magazine, I came across this article, it's a pretty well-known magazine, maybe you've heard it before, I'm not going to tell you because I don't want you to think that I read Vogue, but um, in this magazine, they were talking about millennials and how millennials love Christmas music. In fact, millennials are the number one consumers of Christmas music, that 36% of people, uh, of, of Christmas music fans are between the ages of 18 and 34. That young people, for some reason, absolutely love Christmas music. And, and it's all 1970 or before Christmas music. So like, not like modern stuff, okay? There's only two songs that are allowed into the Christmas mix that are after 1970. Can you guess what they are? Mariah Carey, thank you. And that was what year? 94, yeah, 94, I think is 94. For some of you guys, it's like, that's as long as 70s was. You know, that's a long time ago. I don't even know if I was born yet. Um, the other one is the uh, is it Trans-Siberian Orchestra, right? So that's the other one that's allowable. Everything else has to be old school, has to be pre-1970s. And so the, uh, the article was describing why millennials seem to love this this music, and even not just the music, but the, the Christmas season so much, even more than previous generations? And the answer was nostalgia. That somehow, and this may or may not be true, but it feels like the world is spinning out of control and that we're more divided than ever, and it's a politically toxic environment. And so Christmas reminds us of a simpler, more wholesome time. These old songs remind us of a simpler time. It, maybe it's in the 50s, and it just felt like the world was a little bit more put together, which we know is not true, but it just it felt more wholesome. And the, and, and the people during this season, they try a little bit more to be generous and to be loving and, and to have this Christmas spirit to become who they know they should be. I think this also explains this phenomenon. I don't know, um, I don't have the, the data to back this, but I'm pretty sure it's true is there seems to be this kind of surge in Hallmark movies. Have you noticed this in your household? Okay, so you've seen, some of you guys have seen this before. Is, um, it, it's, it's happening in, in my home, um, and I am not the one that's putting the Hallmark movies on, but I get to watch them. And um, here's the good news about Hallmark movies. When you've seen one, you've seen them all. <laughs> it is the same story, right? Right? It is the same story over and over and over again. I will literally be laying in bed, and my wife will put on a Hallmark movie, and I will tell her, hey, I can tell you how this one ends. <laughs> I bet you she's not going to end with that guy. She's going to end with the other guy, and it's going to be happily ever after. And she's like, you're an idiot. And she's <laughs> correct. But I think the reason why Hallmark movies uh, have become so popular is definitely not the storyline. Uh, it must be something else. There's something else attractive about these movies, and I think it's because these stories point to kind of the world that we wish we lived in, where it's a fairy tale, and there's a happily ever after, and we have a white Christmas, and family is together, and everyone is okay, and, and I think that we, just for a moment, we want to be in the Hallmark movie, that we want to live in the world that they're, they're painting for us. And so Christmas reminds us um, of these nostalgic memories. Maybe it's memories of, of childhood 
or memories of the childhood that we wish that we had had. So there's this new phenomenon uh, uh, along with Hallmark movies, which is the re-release um, and, and, uh, and uh, reproduction of these old school TV shows and movies. And so you've probably seen it on Netflix, you got things like Full House, and we recently got this exciting Disney app, which I'm really excited about. Um, <laughs> and all of the old school Disney movies are on that, and it's kind of fun. I get to watch the movies that I watched as a child uh, with my kids. And, uh, and it's because the, uh, the market has realized that there's something about this generation that just loves nostalgia. That just, we're, we're really connected. In fact, I was helping my kids clean their, uh, the, the, their toys up, and I came across Candyland, and this Candyland was the nostalgia edition, and it was kind of a 1950s-looking deal. And, and there's something very attractive to us that we have this connection with the past, this distant memory, this nostalgia. Uh, last year, I came across a commercial um, with uh, what I believe is probably the best Christmas movie of all time. You know what it is, right? Did I hear Die Hard? <laughs> Die Hard is the best Christmas movie? Bunch of Grinches out there, okay. I like it. Um, no, Home Alone, of course. Everybody knows Home Alone is the best Christmas movie of all time. Uh, in, if, you, if you're below the age of probably 35, this is your movie, right? The rest of you guys think it's okay. We know that this is the best Christmas movie. And, um, and, and Google knew this as well. So they recreated to kind of give us a little nostalgia, uh, and I just want to show you this commercial. Watch this real quick. Mom? Dad? Hey, Google, what's on my calendar today? You have one event called House to Yourself. Oh, yeah. Hey, Google, add aftershave to my shopping list. Hey, Google, remind me to clean these sheets later. Okay, I'll remind you. Ah. Bad AC. Someone's at the front door. What do I owe you? Looks like you paid online. Keep the change, you filthy animal. Okay, cool. Hey, Google, turn down the temperature two degrees. Hey, Google, begin Operation Kevin. Operation Kevin underway. So there's something about this nostalgia at Christmas, and, and Google knows it, and in fact, I think that a lot of people intuitively know this to be true. We years ago started this whole December nights thing where we have a Christmas village, and it actually, if you know the story, it came from our, our college ministry where we had a bunch of college students and young adults, and we just did some silly things like we had pictures with Santa, and the line was out the door. They just thought this is the best thing ever, and we were just like, all right, I guess that's cool. And then we started adding more, and it kind of took over, and, and now it's a whole community thing. But it's because there's this nostalgic feeling, these warm fuzzies that we get at Christmas, and we want to do whatever we can to enhance it. This is why parents, we, we try to provide these memories for our kids during the holiday season is we don't want them to just get a bunch of stuff for Christmas. We want them at the end to have some memories that they can look back and they can have those experiences that maybe we experienced or we wish we had experienced. And so we try to create, my wife spends days, weeks, decorating our house for Christmas. It looks awesome, but 
I wouldn't spend that kind of time, right? But she thinks it's very important because she wants to create memories for our kids. Or we have Christmas traditions where we're going to have a gingerbread making uh, house contest and we're going to go and look at Christmas lights. And we do all of these things because we're trying to give our kids something other than just material stuff. We're trying to give them a, a sense of nostalgia. And so I think this... Um, this desire for nostalgia is universal, and so I started to do some research. I wanted to find out where does this come from, and, and you may find this interesting. Is nostalgia um, was actually thought of originally in the 17th century as a disease, a psychological disorder. Is there was a uh, a Swiss physician, his name was Johannes Hofer, and he was watching these uh, mercenaries, and he was seeing what they were struggling with, and they had some kind of strange sickness. And he decided it was homesickness. And so he coined the term nostalgia. He put two Greek words together, nostos, homecoming, and algos, pain or ache. And he said, nostalgia is this desire or longing to be home. Now, at first that might seem a little confused. What do you mean to be home? Like longing to be in my childhood home? Maybe. But really home is this place in which the deepest desires of our hearts are met. It's a time or a place where we have felt where we belong and where we're understood and where we're accepted and we're loved and we have a, a sense of joy. And so home is, is not just a place, although it, it may be associated with a place, and it may be some relationships, but it's really this time where we feel like we belong and we are loved. And so nostalgia is this faint memory of once having been in a place in a time like that and, and a bittersweet longing to be back there once again. And so for you, you may have these nostalgic memories of your childhood, where you remember growing up and experiencing this, and it just brings back this faint memory of, I once was in a place in which I felt like I belonged, like I was finally home. Mom and dad have it, had everything figured out, and they had it, you know, they were keeping me safe, and everything in the world seemed right, and, you know, it was naive, of course, but at least it, it felt like we were finally home. And so we have these memories, these faint memories, for a moment, or it's maybe longing for a time in history which you never experienced, but it, it feels like you would be at home. And so for me, um, I love old trucks. I love old pickup trucks, okay? So this truck right here, I, had, uh, I asked him to put on the stage. This is a 1953 F100. It's got a 351 Cleveland motor and a C6 wrench. It's fine. It's good. It's a good truck. Okay, it's great. It's a cute truck. I love driving these things. I love looking at them because it's not just cool looking. There's something about it where you feel like you're back in time when you're in it. You can just imagine being in the 50s, driving this thing out on the farm, and there's this nostalgic feeling. Although I did not live in the 50s, I still have this longing to be there because it feels like a place where I maybe could find home. And so this desire to be home is most noticeable at Christmas. As we s heard all those songs that, uh, that they sang right before the sermon, and it, it's fascinating how many songs are about coming home for Christmas. I don't know if it's because we have to sit and we kind of have to like spend a little bit extra time where we're not so busy. Maybe we have some time off of work and we have this desire, at least for a few days, to just, I don't know, there's something in me that I just want to be home. And it just feels right. And of course, we've talked about all the Christmas movies that have to do with being home. But here's the problem, is we all desire, we all have this longing, and we have this, this faint memory of at one point being home and yet, we've never truly been home before. We've never been in a place or a time where all the deepest desires of our hearts were actually met. We've never found that place. We've never experienced that, that moment. Maybe we've had a moment, 
and it was just, it was great, and it was awesome, but it was just a fleeting moment. So this last week, I got to um, go spend a bunch of time with my, my whole family, and we just had a blast. We went, and the kids got to go sledding. We went up and saw the snow, and it was, it was, a, it was a really great week. We didn't have too many meltdowns. I didn't cry that much. Like, it was great, you know? <laughs> but there was actually never a moment, because I was looking for it, you know? Because I knew this. I was thinking about this talk. I was looking for it. There was never a moment when I went, this is it. I finally hear the world is right. There's no more worry, anxiety. I'm at peace. I feel loved. Everything is okay in the world. I've never found that time where I'm totally home. Even the memories that we have, the nostalgic memories, those are, are, are actually not realistic. If you were able to go back to this time where you have this nostalgic memory, if you were to go back, it, it wouldn't actually live up to the expectations. You remember it being far better than it really was. And sure, it was great, and those are great memories to have, but if you went back, it, it wouldn't be perfect. It would still fall short. We still wouldn't truly be home. We have these deep desires and needs, and yet there is nothing in this world that seems to be able to sustain them. We want to belong. We want to be loved. We want to be fulfilled and satisfied. We want to have a life full of joy, and yet no person in human history has ever arrived there. We all want it, we all long for it, and we've tried. Human history has just been the pursuit of trying to find home. We try it with money or sex or, or power or knowledge, even religion, and yet all of them have fallen short. No person in human history has ever said, ah, I'm finally home. And so I think the question we have to ask is, why is the world like this? Why do we live in a place that cannot sustain our deepest needs? Well, C.S. Lewis has a great illustration. He says, let's imagine that um, we created a spaceship that would take us to Mars. And so we all go to Mars and we crash land on there and we open up the doors and we take a big deep breath. What would happen? We would die, right? We would die. We would all die because Mars cannot sustain us. It can't sustain us physically. It doesn't provide the oxygen that we need and it has extreme climates that we couldn't survive in. It also relationally couldn't sustain us. There's no people up there. We would go crazy. And so we would rightly say that Mars is not our home. Now, let's say that we were able to fix our spacecraft and we're able to come back and land here on Earth and we open up the doors and we take a deep breath and we go, ah, I'm finally home. But are we really home? Why would we say that we're home? Because on Mars, it couldn't sustain us. And so we knew we weren't home, but Earth, it sustains us just a little bit longer. We're still all dying. Still gonna end the same way. Oh, because it, it, we last a little bit longer here, we think that this is home? In fact, if you look at the grand, uh, the grand scheme of things, the beginning to the end of human history or even the universe, they're both killing us pretty quickly. Earth and Mars, we're both on our way out. And so I think we have to admit, well, if Mars is not home, then Earth may not be home either. I think there's no, uh, no better indicator that this is not our true home than than death. And I, I understand as soon as I say that, you go, Cody, it's Christmas. <laughs> I want to drink a lot of hot chocolate. I want to make some bad dietary decisions. Uh, I don't want to deal with that right now. And, and let's be honest, that's kind of the point, is we don't want to deal with this, but just give me two minutes, and then we'll go back to something else. But just two minutes, is I think death is the ultimate sign that this is not our home because our deepest desire, and I don't care if you're a Christian, if you even believe in God, one of your deepest desires is for love to last. 
you want the people around you, the ones that you love the most, you want that relationship to continue on. You don't want to have to say goodbye. If you have ever stood there and you've lost a loved one and in those moments of grief, you, your, your reaction was not, well, this is just a part of life. What are you going to do? It is always, there's something not right about this. I, I don't care if you believe in God or not. There's something not right. This just, this just can't be. Because our deepest desires, the longing of our heart is for the loved ones that we've invested in, that we do life with, that that relationship would continue on. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God wrote eternity on our hearts. As we know that there's not supposed to be a death, that there's not supposed to be an end, that our relationships, the loves of our lives, they're supposed to continue on for eternity. And yet no one wants to face the implications. What we try to do is we either try to normalize it and say, well, you know, that's just a part of life. This is the Lion King approach. It's the circle of life, you know. And so we try to make it, oh, you know, kids, that's what happens is, you know, we end up dying and you go into the ground and then you become a tree one day and animals eat from the tree and then they die and then it, well, that's a circle of life. Or most of us, we just try to avoid it. We just don't want to think about it. We just want to stay distracted so we don't have to think about death. That's what we're trying to do right now. That's why you hate the fact that I'm talking about death during Christmas is we just don't want to think about it. And yet I think if, if we're going to be honest with ourselves and we, we really want to seek truth, we can't ignore this profound spiritual homelessness that we have. That no matter how great a house, a family, a career that we build, it's never going to solve our deepest desires. Is for our loves to last. It's kind of like building a, a space station on Mars. Yeah, it's a little bit better, I guess, but this still ain't home. And so we have, to, we have to admit that there's just something. We know it to be true in our hearts that this is not our home. C.S. Lewis says, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And that's what the scripture tells us. The scripture tells us that the world that we live in is not the world that we were created to live in. Genesis 1 and 2 are all about the world that we were created to live in. That there was this, this creation where God made everything good. There was no death, there was no decay, and in fact, we get to walk with God, be in an intimate relationship with him, and that was the home that all of us desire. There seems to be this, this um, I don't even know how to, it's almost like a collective memory amongst humanity, that when we have these moments of nostalgia, it's as if we're recalling the garden that we had in, in humanity's past. We're, we're having just this little faint memory of, oh, that's that's the home that I'm longing for right now. And yet we go to Genesis 3 and we understand that man has chosen to rebel against God and instead of submitting to his will, we want to be uh, the, the rulers of our own lives. And so we end up getting kicked out of the garden and we become homeless. After that, really the whole Old Testament, if you look at it, is God's people trying to find their way back home. Israel, they're in exile, they're kicked out of their house. They're enslaved, and then they're eventually freed, and they're journeying, trying to find their way back home, back into the land that they belong, and in the presence of their God. And their story is our story. They're just a, a reflection of what's happening in humanity, is, is humanity has really been exiled from home, and we've been enslaved by our sin, and Christ came, and he frees us, but we're all still longing to be home. I know this is true, not just because of the scriptures, but I see it in the stories that we tell. The stories that we resonate most with are stories about trying to get back home. Think about the most 
famous movie quote of all time, there's no place like home. Wait, wait a minute. So you're telling me that in our hearts is written this desire to go back home. And, and you can see it when it, we start to tell certain stories, and these stories resonate with us. That's why these stories are popular. So let me give you a couple examples. Uh, Wizard of Oz, Back to the Future, Home Alone, E.T., Gladiator. Every Disney movie that's been created is a journey of trying to get back home. Finding Nemo, Toy Story, Lion King, Frozen, Alice in Wonderland, they're all stories of I'm lost, and I simply just want to go home. One of my favorite movies growing up was um, Hook, and maybe you're familiar with this. This is uh, the story of Peter Pan, and uh, there's this scene, and so if you didn't see the movie, what happens is Peter Pan, played by Robin Williams, he grows up, he tries to go back, and his kids are kidnapped by Hook, and one of his kids, Jack, uh, ends up kind of almost falling into this spell, if you will. It's not a spell, but he kind of falls into this spell where he starts to believe that Hook is his real father. And that being with him is where he truly belongs. And so he actually at one point rejects his father and says, no, this is my true home. This is where I belong. And then there's this one scene. Uh, Jack loves baseball, and so Hook tries to put this uh, baseball game together. And in the stands, he has this sign that these guys are holding up. And it's supposed to say, home run, Jack. And they mess it up. And it says, run home, Jack. And in that moment, he reads it, and it's as if the spell is broken, and he has a moment of clarity, and he says, wait a minute, this isn't my home. This isn't where I belong. This isn't, this isn't where I fit. I'm supposed to be back in my father's house. Now, if the story sounds familiar, it's because Jesus told a very similar one 2,000 years before this. It's called the prodigal son. And it's kind of the same story. It's the prodigal son. He goes out and he, he rebels against the father. He goes and he lives a life of sin. And eventually he hits rock bottom and he has a moment of clarity in which he goes, this is not where I belong. I belong back in my father's house. And so he turns back and he runs to his father, hoping that maybe his father will let him at least be a servant. And the father is standing there with open arms and says, welcome home. Run home, Jack. See, I think that there's something within all of us that knows that we're not home and, and we can't find it. And the reason is because we're continuing to run away. Is we're under this illusion, under this spell that, oh, if it's out there, I'm going to find it. I'm going to find my home. I'm going to find the place that I belong. And we continue to run from the one place that says, no, this is your true home, in the Father's house. And so some of us this Christmas season, we just got to stop running. It gets exhausting after a while. And if we want to stop running, it's pretty simple. Scripture says that we are just to repent, that we are turned from our sins to head back to the Father and say, will you accept me? And he will. So that you, 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 you take over the, the controls of my life. I'm handing the keys over to you. It's, it's your will, not mine. I submit to you. And he says that he will willingly welcome us back home. When Jesus says that if we give our lives over to him, that he will... Um, he will take us back home. He goes and he talks about how he will do that. In John 14, 2, it says this, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, why would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And so Jesus is saying here is that I, uh, I'm gonna go back to my home, to the father's house. And when I get there, I'm going to prepare a place for you because that's your home as well. 
And don't worry, because I'm going to come back and I'm going I'm to take you with me. In fact, the scriptures elaborate on this later in Revelation. It says that he is going to recreate the world, that he's going to come back and all the things that have been subject to death and decay and destruction, everything will be made new and it will be the place that we were supposed to live. And so he says that I am going to bring home back to earth one day. I think the most beautiful homes and families and marriages that we have are simply a shadow. They're a pointer. They're good things, but they're not ultimate things. They're pointers to the thing that we're actually searching for. Next verse, Thomas is a little bit confused, and he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, if, if you want to come home, I'm the way. I, I'm the path. You've you got to go with me if you want to come home. And so, at the time, it probably didn't make a whole lot of sense to the disciples, and they're thinking, Jesus, how are you going to take us home? How do, how do we make this whole, how do we make sense of this thing? And I think a way to, to understand it is, first, we have to look at how did we lose this home? Well, the way that we lost our home is the same way that we lose our homes here on earth, is that for some reason, we've agreed to pay a mortgage every month, and we failed to do that. We, we have failed to live up to the agreement and so what happens when you fail to live up to your agreement is you lose your home. It, it's an unfortunate thing, and nobody likes it, but that's just part of the deal. You agreed to pay. You didn't pay. You're out. Same thing is true in the scriptures. You agreed to be in relationship with me, to submit your lives to me, and that we would be together in intimate relationship. And when you decided to rebel and reject me, what happens is you lost your home because you failed to live up to your end of the agreement. Now, how do we get our homes back? Well, somebody's got to pay the debt. Same is true with our debt to God is someone's got to pay it. And you don't have enough resources, and neither do I, to pay this kind of debt. We have offended a holy and eternal and righteous God. How are you going to pay that debt? The only person that has those kinds of resources are God himself. And so that's why he sends Jesus and he says, he's going to pay your debt so you can come back home. This is what Christmas is about. Christmas is about Jesus leaving his father's house, the place where he is totally loved, he is fulfilled, and he comes down as a child and is homeless. And he becomes homeless so that you and I can find our way home. And so the Christmas story is really about coming home. It's about stopping being a runaway and finally giving over our lives to Christ. The good thing is that we can do this here and we can do this now. It says you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that you are welcome back into his household, that you get to be a part of his family once again. And so some of us, this Christmas can be a special Christmas because we stop running and we finally come home. For others of us, our hope is in that day in which we are finally at home. And what I mean by this is we're not fully at home. We're kind of in our home away from home right now. Is when we come to Christ, we haven't fully realized being in the Father's house yet. That doesn't happen until we see him face to face. But until then, he gives us a home away from home. That's this church. He said, I'm going to start the church, and it's going to be your home away from home. It's going to be a place where you can gather with other uh, members of the family, and you can worship, and you can celebrate, and you belong, and you are accepted, and you are loved. It's going to be your home away from home. But here's the thing. He didn't say, just hold on until I come back. Just survive. Just try to make it. Just, just try to get back. Just No, 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 no. He says, now here's the deal. 
I'm going to give you this home away from home. I'm going to give you this family. And one day we're going to be fully reunited and it's going to feel so good. But until then, you have a mission and a message. And here's the mission and the message. Bring my kids home. Bring my kids home. There's a lot of my kids out there and they're lost. They're spiritually homeless and I want you to go and help bring them home. When I was thinking about this idea of bringing kids home, it reminded me of a moment in my life that was kind of a turning point. And there's those few moments in life which you remember as being profound and being kind of uh, a game changer. And I had one of those, uh, you know, you've had those with, with when you have kids and you get married and things like that. But I had one of those when I was in my early 20s. And I, I've told this story before, but I think it illustrates maybe what I'm talking about is when I was in my 20s, um, we went to Uganda, and during that time, there was a, a war that was taking place, and you may have heard about it. It was like Joseph Kony and child soldiers and all that kind of stuff, and, and so we had heard about it, and the war was, was intense. It was raging at that time, and you couldn't drive there, and so we took a little plane in with, some, um, uh, with, a, with a crew, and we sat down with some of these refugees, and I got to tell you, I will never forget that day that I spent with those refugees. One, because I saw some uh, horrendous atrocities. There was kids who were literally dying in the dirt because there was no one to care for them. Doctors that were with us said they won't last another couple days. And then I, I, I sat down with some, some moms, some moms who had lost kids to uh, the rebels, and, and what would happen is they would be out in the bush in their villages, and these rebels would come in, and they would either murder everyone and take the kids with them and turn them into sex slaves or child soldiers, or... Um, or, or, they would, uh, or they would force their kids to kill the family. Horrendous, horrendous stories. And some of these mothers, they survived, and they were obviously grief-stricken because they had lost so many family members, but there was their children that were out there in the bush wandering, looking for home. They just wanted to come home. They're little kids, man, and I thought, at the time, I didn't really get it, you know, because I wasn't a father yet, but as a father now, I imagine my kids being out in the middle of the bush wandering, just trying to find their way home. And it breaks my heart thinking, oh, I would do anything in order to get my kids home. That's how God feels about us. He goes, look, I will, I will do anything to get my kids home. In fact, I will sacrifice my own son in order to get my kids home. I got to come back a, a year later and meet with those moms and, and some of the kids, and a lot of them had, had returned. And those moms, I, there couldn't have been a better feeling in the world than having your kid return home after he's been gone. Oh, they were full of joy and gratitude and excitement. They were, it, was, it was as if I were talking to different people because someone brought their kids home. That's our opportunity. That, that's what the church is here for, is we have an opportunity to bring God's kids home. We get to bring them into this family. We get to love on them. And, and so my my kind of challenge and takeaway as we enter into this holiday season is there's something about the holidays, we talk about nostalgia, that makes people slow down a little bit and maybe think about some of the bigger, bigger questions of life. Be a little bit more open to faith. And so what if our, our goal for this Christmas season was not just to make great memories, we're gonna do that, and not just to give great presents because that's gonna happen too, and, but what if our goal was to just help bring someone home this Christmas? That we have friends and we have family that are out there and they are lost. They are spiritually homeless. They may not even realize it yet. And yet we have the opportunity to bring them home. 
And so my challenge for you as we enter into this season is, is there someone in your life that you can help bring home this Christmas? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for this church and that we get to have this home away from home, a family where we can belong and we are accepted and we are loved. And yet, Lord, we know that there is a world that is around us that is wandering, that's lost, that's, that's homeless. And you have given us a mission and you have given us a message that there has been a way for them to come home to their heavenly father. And so, Lord, I, I just pray that we as a church would take that seriously, that that would be the ultimate goal of this Christmas season for us is to bring your kids home. And so, Lord God, we thank you. We love you. You've been so good to us. In your name we pray. Amen.